0: I think that there's a lot of parallels or a lot of things that we're doing well in the digital space that aren't being solved in the physical space with appliances or anything else. But what we're going to find with something like augmented reality or virtual reality is that we can start merging the two together. So you don't necessarily have to, in my mind, think super hard about changing your methods so much as figuring out which pieces you can reuse And bring with you as you go. It's not like you don't have to think about it from zero, right? Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. This is Jeff, I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot.
1: And I'm Matt, I'm a growth engineer at HubSpot. This is Austin, I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. So today we're gonna talk about emerging technologies. There's some new stuff that's happening and there's been a lot of discussion about it for a while, but now it seems like it's actually finally happening. So what we wanna cover are three things in particular, and we wanna discuss the applications of them the implications on design and growth and then also how they relate to each other and those things are iot the internet of things augmented reality ar and virtual reality vr so as i was thinking about the most important things to discuss with these emerging technologies the first thing that was really like popping in my head this sort of theme that was coming out is how in a lot of ways they seem to be evolutions of each other and that may sound a little weird because you don't necessarily associate like the internet of things which to describe the internet of things that's we're talking about things like uh the nest thermostat mm-hmm. or a fridge that has like an ipad on the front of it and and can
0: why do we laugh when we say that though? i don't know that's... that sounds like a totally reasonable thing <laughs>
1: yeah
0: yeah, like, yeah technically like everything has an ipad in it now
1: mm-hmm. like, right yeah or or, or like or a touch screen um,
0: i guess it wouldn't all be an ipad like a tesla doesn't have an ipad in it it has like tesla yeah, that's screen. true tesla although
1: Android. the uh this guy that I know bought a Tesla, and when he offered me a ride in it, he, the first thing that he told me was that it had an iPad in the dash. Hmm. So I think that everybody perceives them as
2: yeah. any, any. It's, it's kind of like, like the whole Xerox thing, you know. <laughs> Anyone that is uh, gonna be making a copy, they're gonna say, "I'm gonna Xerox Yeah, it. and yeah. anytime yeah. you're
0: on Bing, you're like, "I'm Googling it."
2: Like, <laughs> <laughs> We, but we, anyway. crap, we crap on being a lot in this podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, I just want to point that out. Every time I go in a browser, I'm like, I'm
1: internet exploring. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so IoT is it's, this, it's all of these different devices that run on the internet and communicate with each other and can enhance your life. That way, they collect a bunch of information and share it with each other. Uh, augmented reality would be a device that can uh, either something like Google Glass, where you're putting on like glasses and you're still in regular reality, but there's uh, additional information in your field of view, or it could be projected onto the surface that you're looking at or something like that. Mm-hmm. And virtual reality transports you to a completely different place where you're putting on goggles and you you don't see any of real reality. It's all just within uh, the machine that you're looking at. So I think that uh, there's a lot of discovery to happen with these devices, but I also think that we can partially predict where things are going because if we look at the history, we notice that increasingly humans are becoming more and more comfortable with letting intelligent devices into their lives. Uh, we, you know, we have smartphones, tablets, smart watches, Roomba, Ro- Roomba. <laughs> killer Roombas yeah. uh, and, and we're comfortable with them. But, and, and that, that sort of plays into the internet of things and, and why, why we're seeing this come about. But at the same time, what we'll also notice is that humans are a little bit less attached to the physical devices and that they're more attached to the information that they receive and the way that the devices enhance their lives. So at the same time, as we continue to welcome these devices into our lives and, and we continue to become dependent on them or occupy our time with them, we also notice people complaining that uh, they're, they're too addicted to their cell phone, or um, that they're not experiencing life, like real life as much anymore because they're too busy looking at their Apple TV or texting people during dinner and it's taking them out of the human experience. So we have this addiction to information, but it comes at the price in this particular context of experience and the analog world so this is where i see the opportunity for augmented reality where uh we're going to be able to deliver people with the same information and enhancements via technology Mm -hmm. uh to their lives that they they have become so appreciative of and in a way so dependent on without taking them out of the human experience i guess
0: it's a good way to think about like what the screens are right now, which is Mm -hmm. a lot of augmented reality solutions are kind of the next step from the screen solution. Like the information is still the same and yet our first solution and maybe the most possible one at the time, you know, was a screen boxed in version like a phone or like a television or something along the lines of that. But as we've started to develop uh, better technologies or think about this problem in different ways, we're able to pull people back out of that and take some of that information and put it back into the real world, which is what I think everybody is, uh, as, as they're you know, being addicted to their phones, they're starting to miss that, as Austin said before. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so you, it's almost like this, creating this reciprocal relationship between the analog world and the digital world. Right. Yeah. And then if we think about virtual reality, that's just completely transporting you away from all of that. And it's taking you to a different place which i think there's some interesting implications there as well but the more that i think about this the more that i'm starting to realize that probably the biggest of those three iot ar and vr for designers ux designers ui designers is going to be ar augmented reality because i would not be surprised if we see within the next five, 10, 15 years, whatever the the acceleration rate is of these technologies, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see AR go on to replace screens as we know it. Yeah, I saw uh,
2: with Microsoft HoloLens, which is an AR device that's currently out on the market for developers, uh, there are people that are actually writing code and designing deliverable uh, mockups using augmented reality right now and it looks really really cool
1: yeah it's like you can you can take any device or any object in your normal human experience and enhance it with the information that right now you could only receive from looking at a screen Mm -hmm. and you can take that information and for example project it onto a ping pong table and you can have your this is a real product that's being developed right now apparently you can have your score your stats everything on the actual ping pong table itself. So you get all of this enhanced information that you wouldn't normally associate with ping pong, but also because you're playing a sport, you're not really able to like look down at your phone during it. So I think that UX designers, UI designers, we're probably going to see that a lot of the design work that we do, one of the biggest changes that's going to happen is that not necessarily that we're going to stop doing the type of design work that we do now, but rather that the medium that we're designing on is going to change. And I was talking with Andrew Rodwin about this yesterday. He's our director of engineering at HubSpot. And he was likening this to uh, the change that we saw when we went from print to digital. And then again, kind of going back from digital to this hybrid medium where we have like digital meshing with analog. I think that that's some powerful stuff, and a lot of designers recently have been talking about how they fear that you know they could become obsolete as a result of this, or you know what if, what if I don't keep up with the technologies as they they change? I actually just think that the the most important thing to focus on is how can I develop UIs or experiences that are more oriented around the real world and the surfaces. that that those experiences are going to be brought to and a little bit less confined to a screen, which again, this shouldn't be a surprise to us because we've seen uh, our screens evolve in a way where we went from like very, very standard resolutions, you know, like you have one, two, three, potential resolutions on a desktop computer. And then, oh, all of a sudden there's a mobile phone. So you build a mobile version of the website. And then, wait a second. There's a lot of different types of mobile phones. Now we need responsive design. And then, oh, there's also tablets that we have to account for. There are different sizes. Oh, now we have watches. We have TVs. Uh what's happening is that we're just finding different ways to integrate this information that we love into our lives, and this is just the next step in that process away from our dependence on those screens, and it's becoming fully fluid.
2: Yeah. I, I like the analogy of print to digital a lot better there because it feels more like what we're doing right now in that it's a very radical jump. Like the jump from uh, desktop resolution to mobile resolution it was it was certainly a leap, and there was a lot that changed there but i i feel like the jump into a r and v r is a much bigger jump yeah than that.
0: and also what you'll notice is that um from the print to digital realms uh when the what ended up happening is Uh, as that technology appeared, people realized that they could solve certain problems with that technology. Mm -hmm. Problems that hadn't really even been thought about being solved or had been, you know, kind of hacked around up until that point. And what we're going to notice, I think, is that especially not just like these vague AR, VR, Internet of Things concepts, but the actual technologies that are built to do this. For example, what can Google Glass do really well? What other technologies can it be integrated with in order to um, solve a particular problem. I always think about, uh, you know, scanning an environment. For example, like we now have the the ability to take an image and then create a a digital model of that, and that's how you can project things on top of stuff. That's how you can get your ping pong scores up on the table because the the technology is able to build its own environment based on the real environment and then augment that environment. Um, that being said, imagine um, a a system that can you know do facial recognition really well. I'm thinking about this in terms of like recruiters maybe. Recruiters in the field who want to talk to somebody or meet somebody and pull up their information right in front of them while they're having a conversation with somebody. Like that's something where you're augmenting reality in real time and only certain technologies with certain amounts of power can do something like that and make that a possibility. You know, is the internet fast enough? Yeah. Is is this system able to process this information and, and get a clear picture on a person's face quickly enough for it to be useful. And like, you know, we might not even think about solving these problems right now. How can you do that right now? You can't, right? It just doesn't exist without ha- you yeah. know having IBM Watson in your back pocket.
2: Mm-hmm. When you said recruiter there, I had this terrifying image of recruiters walking down the street of a popular city in the tech industry, wearing Google Glass and having it augment and point out that dude's an engineer, that dude's a designer. They just go like <laughs> chase them down uh- and just haggle them until they accept this, the job.
0: This te- it's not any better than having a LinkedIn account,
2: honestly. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Might, might feel a little more awkward. Yeah, right.
1: This technology that you're talking about though, Jeff, uh, I actually saw a demonstration of it. Which like, one? It's actually being built right now. I saw a demonstration of a technology that's almost exactly what you just described last week. Uh, I was fortunate enough to speak at a Digital Summit and Dan Ho of Huge was also speaking there, and he's a UX design director at Huge out of Washington D.C. And they are developing a system called Hello Client. At least that's what they're calling it right now. You can search the web for information on it, but there there really isn't any information, unfortunately. Uh, it's just kind of Dan and his team's baby. But basically. I'm sure that there will be information on it soon because I asked him about it and he said that they're working on that. But the gist of it is that right now what they're doing is they have built a system that when you walk, when you approach the huge office, they have a bunch of cameras that will capture your face and it will recognize which client you are. And then when, by the time that you get to the reception, there will be TVs, with your information, your account information on it, your entire schedule and a map for where you're going to go in the office. And if it works correctly and notifies the account manager and they follow through, your account manager will actually greet you at the door by name.
2: But it's also really cool there that like, part of what makes it a seamless experience is that it's very passive. You, know, you don't actually physically sit down and enter any information to any kind of input field. You mm-hmm. know, It just kind of works and happens in the background. And if you want to look at the information, it's there for you.
1: Yeah. But this is, this is what's so exciting about these emerging technologies is that the application of them yeah. hasn't even really been realized yet. Mm-hmm. Like We don't even really know what's possible, sort of in a similar way to like the dawn of the, the personal computer and accessible internet. We didn't even really know what it was capable of. I think we're experiencing another, we're, we're on the cusp of another revolution similar to that. And it's so, it's so weird to talk about it because nobody even, it's like, uh, there's, there's a huge VR community in Boston I was going around the HubSpot office yesterday, asking people if they were interested in talking about VR. And there's so many people that are like, yeah, I totally want to talk about that. Like I did a thesis project on it or, or you know, my friend is, is building a headset or a game or something like that. And you talk to these people and it's like, you know, how do you design for VR? Or what do you think is happening with VR or what's possible? Nobody knows. They just know it's something good.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, uh, I, w- I was thinking a little bit about this earlier, and I was thinking like, uh, a lot of the rules for how you approach a project are probably gonna be pretty similar for VR. It's just the capabilities of what you can do and the way that you use it are drastically changed. So you, of course, have to approach any VR project or AR project uh, per the context of the project.
0: I just had a thought. Sure. I wonder if this project the digital designing that we do today mm-hmm. and the augmented reality of tomorrow are going to merge with each other. And I had this thought, looking around, we're, uh, by the way, we're sitting in Matt's apartment today, uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at a fridge and a stove and a dishwasher, <laughs> uh, looking at these things while they were having that part of the conversation. Um, I imagined what it would be like to put on a headset and use the kitchen with an augmented uh, digital enhancement The first thing I thought of was, okay, uh, I don't need controls on the stove anymore because it's all digital now. I can use an interface that's built like a digital UI to turn the stove on and off to know the status of whether or not things are on, to know if you know, how much, how hot something is. Like I, all of these things can be tucked away inside a digital uh, experience. The fridge, I can see what's in the fridge without opening the fridge. I can see the temperature of the fridge. Yeah, it could save With a lot of energy Dishwasher, Yeah, a dishwasher, I can see if it's full or empty without opening it up. I can see if it's running or not from far away. I can see, uh, did I put soap in it? Like all these things, like this stuff. And it can look like a, a screen of controls that we've built with a phone or something else. Like the, once it's in the digital realm, it can look like whatever you want. And what's cool is that normally we're limited. You get a microwave and you have the microwave uh, oven settings. And it's a, this, this awful, I hate the UI, uh, user experience of a microwave. I think it's mm-hmm. one of the worst. It's a great mm-hmm. example of what's a bad experience. Um, because of the way that it's built and the limits on the actual, you know, interface itself. Like you need to have a door, and like there's only so much room. Like if you have too many buttons, like the microwave gets massive. Like you know, there's some limits around that. But if you take that interface and the clock, I don't know why we need a clock in AR world, you know, um, we take that off of the microwave and now it's just a door, right? And then when we want to use the microwave, imagine on the closed door, a whole interface shows up. And you can you can change screens, you can do whatever you want. you can do it like when you're checking out uh, food at a supermarket and you search through like the produce like you know like there's only six different foods up there. What if you could use a microwave setting for a hundred different foods? There's not enough space on that microwave, but there is in the digital world.
1: Yeah. yeah and in a similar way to how we saw the democratization of design and personalization when the web became accessible and you didn't have to you know understand print setting. Uh, to, to create a brochure or, or you didn't have to, you know, hire a sign company to, or, or even get a brick and mortar location to start your own business. You could code something up on your own, build something on your own. Uh, we could see the same thing happen now more in the physical world where that microwave UI that you were talking about, I don't like microwave UIs either. Maybe I have an idea for what a microwave UI could be like and I could create my own UI for my own personal microwave, I could open source this, share this with other people. And it it would be
2: updatable. You wouldn't be stuck with the physical buttons that are there. Exactly. If I forgot to do a whole turkey in the
0: microwave, someone could code that for me and add it to my (laughs) interface. And suddenly, yeah, suddenly you have physical items that are not necessarily limited by their physical being you know yeah. because all of the things it's like what pieces can you abstract away? Well anything that can be controlled mm-hmm. right the, the limits of a stove are all the controls are physical So those are the only settings that it has But if you can take all of those settings make it digital and then you know You could build any permutation of any setting suddenly the user interface is way bigger and digital takes care of that really well.
1: Yeah. So uh, earlier this week, I was interviewing on the User Defenders podcast with Jason Ogle, which just if for anybody listening, if you're interested in picking up another great UX podcast, that's a good place to start. Um, and one of the questions that he asked me was, what do you think the future of UX looks like? And my answer to that has been recently expansion. And I think that when we think about these interfaces and these opportunities that Jeff was just outlining, it becomes ever more obvious Mm -hmm. that the mediums that we design in are undoubtedly going to change, but the opportunities and the places where design is going to happen are going to balloon. It's going to get huge. You take anything that is delivering you information right now, or that has some type of control, as Jeff was mentioning, so anything that has an input or an output that doesn't require like exhaustive physical right. movement—like
0: there's no such thing as AR on a trumpet, probably,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. But but you know something that's like uh, you know a control that doesn't require serious physical movement or so input or output where you know your microwave is telling you it's done or it's telling you the time, and that's something that can become an augmented interface. Mm-hmm.
2: But what about, so one of the common arguments I always hear against why this is a terrifying future mm-hmm. uh, is security. And like, what if someone hacks my microwave? Or what if someone hacks my fridge or my dishwasher? And I feel like most of those things, like, I don't care if someone hacked my dishwasher and could see what's in it, that right. wouldn't bother me. But maybe like if they did turn on my microwave for like 10 hours straight while I wasn't home, like in cause a fire in my apartment, that's kind of scary. Yeah,
0: I think that uh, there's other technologies that solve that problem, for example, uh, there's a lot of thought around like, the internet specifically, mm-hmm. but there's, you know, we've got Bluetooth, uh, which is short range. We've got other what, short range something, something that people use for opening doors and stuff like that. Like th- or those, like, those are very device specific and um, there's a lot more security around it. For example, mm-hmm. like if, if this was such a big problem, um, I imag- or if this was a thing that was very pervasive, like I, I bought a car that's keyless, when i'm close to the car it knows that i can turn it on and that's not using the internet right like there is a lot of security built into that because it's it's only me physically like and unless you like steal my keys which is something that you know unless I don't know like surgically implanting a key into my body isn't really something I want to do so like that's like a normal thing that's kind of you know (laughs) there there is some training you know seriously I'm thinking about like, what are the limitations of that security the security is if you go into my apartment and you take my keys you can drive my car like obviously I don't want you to steal my car but um, I'm gonna be smart enough to not let you steal my keys right but things that are a little bit out of control for example have you ever seen that video of the guy getting his uh, his car hacked online because of the internet connection of his car like that's a serious problem I'm imagining that maybe for things like uh, an augmented kitchen you know whatever device that I'm using to do that you know hopefully we'll be using some technology that is, is short range that doesn't involve somebody 200 miles away being able to hack into it and um, also, the device is registered so that only my device or only appropriate devices can do that. Like there, there's some considerations around.
2: Yeah, maybe, I mean, it seems kind of silly, but maybe you have a password to actually like use the interface uh, a, voice, a voice password yeah. for your microwave? Of,
1: of course, though, there are legitimate security <laughs> concerns with it. And I think I think it's something that's actually, you know, I mean, this goes back to our episode on privacy, data security, and user trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be a really important conversation. So I do think that there's a lot to go with on the security and privacy side. But I also think uh, that we're going to have to think about the implications on our lives as as human beings you know there are certain things that uh that this this could affect us in in some unexpected ways for sure if you've ever heard of the tv show black mirror it's a two uh series television show it's so good there's another series coming out there's another one coming out yeah yeah and there's an episode I'm, i'm pumped can you tell you can, so you can find this, uh, you can find this show on Netflix and um, it's, it's, it's basically, it's like a Twilight Zone, but it's all about the ethical and human implications of rapidly inv- advancing technology. And there's an episode called The Entire History of You, which is basically uh, centered around augmented reality. And if we had uh, contact lenses that would display interfaces to us in an AR format, but also would record everything that we saw, what would the implications of that would be? What would it be? It'd basically be that you could have access to every single memory ever. And that sounds like something that's appealing at first, but in actual application, maybe sometimes there are things that you want to forget, like for example, a past relationship. Um, And so, or, or you know, maybe maybe sometimes remembering things fondly when when they actually were pretty mediocre <laughs> is actually a good thing. So I do think that for sure, with with these technologies, there's going to be some questions along that line.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But furthermore, when we think about, uh, so we've 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 just what we've really been discussing here is augmented reality, which I think is the most important one because that's the hybrid between the screens and like. This information that we want, and the uh, the real world, which is like devoid of information, but it's very real, and then also VR, which is like completely devoid of the real world, but all of the information, all of the experiences yeah. there. AR sort of combines all of these. There's been a
2: lot of VR devices that have hit the market lately.
1: Yes, yeah. So that's that's the that's the other thing that I think is worth discussing is like VR. What is what's happening there, and I think that the applications are huge there as well. But I think that what we'll see is that AR will become integrated in our lives uh, continuously, right. where AR is always going to be on. Uh, we're always going to have that information. That's those, those goggles, those contacts or the projectors, those are never going to come off. They're never going to turn off. So AR will become in a way an enhancement of life. I think that VR is something that you would see people, you know, transporting themselves to these worlds for short, you know, hour and a half, two hour periods of time, that's going to become an enhancement of entertainment. We're seeing artists are using VR extremely well, films, uh, music videos, um, video games. Even uh, in the classroom and, and businesses, there's a wonderful TED talk about a guy that created a virtual science lab where uh, you the students, all that they need is their Samsung Galaxy phone and a headset, which is very cheap. And they can put this on and uh, transport themselves into a MIT level science lab and perform uh, experiments for themselves, which are standard experiments that everybody has to perform before they're properly trained to go into a real lab. And what this does is, you can take this to you can take this to countries and universities that don't have access to labs like this. And they actually did a study with Stanford that showed that the effect, they, they compared the effectiveness of a, a teacher lecturing a class about how to use a lab versus a class just going into the lab on their virtual reality headsets. And they found that the class just going into the lab and getting their hands dirty in the VR headset, it improved uh, their, their retention and, and how much they had learned by somewhere around 50%. And then they compounded that with what if the teacher was lecturing as they were going through uh, the VR process, like in, in the virtual reality lab, and they saw that it improved it by over 100%. So adding this virtual enhancement to the education process, it completely changes the, the way that, that students are interacting with, with information at where, to the point where the students were saying, wow, I can't believe I just played around in a lab, a science lab for two hours without ever even thinking about checking yeah. Facebook.
0: You know what this makes me think of? Something that's been around far before the headset which is the uh, test flight uh, virtual environment for yeah. people who are pilots or who are yep. in spaceships or something mm-hmm. like that like this this is virtual reality like that's what that was. the difference of course is that the interface is you know you've got a whole cockpit and then the windows are your your virtual space but in you know this particular example you've got a full headset on uh, so that all of your senses are being taken up um, you know inches from your face, which is a little bit different but the the concept is the same. What it sounds like is that there's a really big advantage to being able to do things that are very close to the actual real life version, but are just simulations. So mm-hmm. that you know, if you mess up, it's not consequential. And like, there's a big difference between that and augmented reality where you know, if I put my hand on a stove and it's only AR, that's a real stove and I'm gonna burn my hand. But mm-hmm. if it's VR, that it might not be real and like, I can go through these motions of, of practicing um, something. So education is very important there. The other one that I think of is actually, if there's something physical on the other end, actually transporting yourself to another place by all of your senses being taken up by this virtual reality uh, machine. So for example, putting on the headset and going to a business meeting where you're not actually there, but you're in full control of say like a robot or like, I don't know, an avatar. These are like science fiction movie stuff. But yeah,
2: there's a lot of people that work remote nowadays that could completely change the context of meetings.
0: Right, so we don't need, so I mean, we've got Skype, right? Like Mm -hmm. we figured out that the amount of information that you need in order to conduct a meeting is audio, visual. We've got tools that do that. What they don't do is physical. Mm -hmm. So the nice addition to VR Is not only for you which it it blocks your other senses and only lets you pay attention to the things that are in this virtual world but you get the added bonus of physical space so the movements with your hands and your body moving Mm -hmm. from place to place like if you were going to attend a meeting but you also had to fold something into origami at the same time I don't know what kind of businesses do maybe an origami company Um, (laughs) you know to demonstrate something having that virtual environment and virtual transportation to get you there. Um, and a, something to, to move on the other end for you might be an application. It might not need to be VR, but uh, the, the spatial advantages of having something like that could be used if the technology was to exist.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a uh, gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Jacobson, out of Boston. And we have a, a meetup in Boston called Boston VR. It's huge. It's like its own mini conference that happens every month. And Jeffrey Jacobson helps lead this group. And he has a company called Construction VR. And uh, Matt and I were talking about this before we were recording. This is really fascinating. Basically, what he can do is take a plot of land or a future construction site or whatever, and construct in virtual reality the building or, or whatever thing is going to go on that land ahead of time with architects, engineers, whoever they may be, in full 3D and then take the developers to the plot of land and put the virtual reality, let them look at the land and then say okay now you're gonna see what it's gonna look like with the building here and we can walk around, we can look at this thing in depth, put the virtual reality headset on them and they'll be able to actually simulate what the final Product is going to look like, so I think that the the application of 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 these things, be you know is is just huge. And finally, it's happening. You know, this is this is something that, as Jeff was mentioning with the with the flight simulators, like this virtual reality, and you know, you hear about the cave and and all of these these different sort of primitive VR things. I don't know if you guys remember uh, theme parks when you were really young, but there was like this white van with no doors that you could. Austin,
0: we're not, that's not a theme park.
1: <laughs> no, no doors or windows. Yeah. And it was at a theme park. Okay, just just stay with me. <laughs> People probably remember this thing. Yeah. So it was like a white van looking thing. And you could get in this and uh, you could like, it, it depended on which one you got, but you could either put on a VR headset or there would be like a big screen in front of you and uh, you'd sit down and they'd close the thing and then the van would lift itself up off the ground and it'd be on like an arm and then it would take you on a roller coaster ride or like a Scooby-Doo adventure and it would move the van around, you know? So it was like this really immersive experience. So this stuff has been happening for a while but uh, I think I I really realized that it was hitting a critical point when uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Rio at a mall and there was an entire Samsung VR display with a bunch of Brazilians just lining up ready to to try and buy Samsung VR. And if you're not familiar, I know that I talk about Brazil all the time, but if you're not familiar with the way the technology works there, it's actually really interesting because Brazil is the most expensive place in the world to buy technology for the most part. Like if you, if you want to spend the most money possible on an iPhone, you would buy it in Brazil. And this is because they have very, very high taxes for uh, imports, especially electronics. But at the same time, the Brazilian people are a very technologically advanced and tech-minded people. So in a way for me, when I see a bunch of Brazilians lining up to buy a tech product. I know that it's a good product. I know it's a, a, a real product that's going to happen because they do their research and they're very tech-minded, but they're also careful about the the products that, that they purchase and they're deliberate. So this was a really interesting thing to me, where it was like, I think that it's it's time for us to think about how how we're going to begin integrating these devices into our lives and and start designing for them. And apparently a lot of other people seem to think the same thing. There are some communities that have sprung up. up. Uh, There was a conference on the West Coast called Vision Summit. It recently happened, but hopefully they're going to do it again uh, next year. And then there's also a conference called Virtual Reality Summit, big surprise in New York City that just happened. We're seeing all of these meetups. So I think that as designers, this is something that's probably or early stages starting to become front of mind.
0: Yeah. I also, uh, I'm thinking that the first couple of these meetups are going to be physical, Mm -hmm. but soon they're just gonna be in a virtual space. So (laughs) get your tickets now while you can still go to something. Otherwise you're gonna have to buy an Oculus Rift.
2: Mm -hmm. Something else I've been wondering about VR and AR is what is going to become like the, I guess the predominant uh, method of input. Right. Is it gonna end up being gesture-based? Is it gonna end up being voice-based? Is it gonna end up being uh, eye-location-based? Is it gonna end up being you having an actual controller or interfacing with your phone or some other device, or you have a keyboard or mouse? Uh, what is it gonna be? And I'm guessing it might be a hybrid of all those things, I mm-hmm. mean, depending on what you're trying to do. But I'm also wondering, like, are there any early uh, studies that kinda like show that like these methods of input with augmented reality or virtual reality are more effective than another.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Technology plays a big part in that, like pressing, you know, we're talking about the thing with Microsoft earlier, pressing buttons that don't actually exist, Mm -hmm. you know, having technology that can interpret where you are and where those buttons are and make that connection is one thing. Um, Also, um, I think it depends on what problem you're solving.
2: Yeah, And, and also like what new methods of input like that, like pushing virtual buttons that are augmented onto a wall, Maybe we'll find out like we're doing it right now because it's kind of cool and new, but maybe it's just like a terrible method of input and it feels like really awkward.
1: Just like the adolescent one, you know? Uh, And I think from conversations that I've had with other designers that are interested in this, they seem to really be placing big bets on gestures, Mm -hmm. at least in the early stages. Yeah,
0: think about, I I do wonder though, uh, there are a lot of older people that still find phones difficult and confusing. And a lot of the rest of us who are younger, or especially the much younger generations, they, they grew up with it, and therefore it's normal and natural. So it might feel awkward. Like I'm wondering if the question is about what's best or what people adopt. That's true. Like what if you do buttons on, on the wall, right? And we're we're like this is awkward and it's weird. And I like having like real physical buttons, which was my first argument for not right. getting a smartphone. You know, and what that's I mean?
2: really just because we're so used to having exactly.
0: Physical buttons. But like I bet an, an eight-year-old would crush it like they would love that and then they'd you know they'd grow up and be a 15 16 25 year old and everything would be like that because it makes sense and it solves a
2: bigger better problem for them they got over it they just got used to it you know that's true it'll be really interesting to see what evolves there
1: Mm -hmm. so if you want to play around with virtual reality there's a thing called google cardboard and matt has this I, I just left it at the office, unfortunately. It's, it's so, you
0: get pain. that, and you're going to be like, "This is it. This is very <laughs> underwhelming."
1: But but it's really it's a it's so it's it's fifteen dollars to get it shipped to your door, yeah. and it's just a piece of cardboard that fo- folds in a creative way to turn. You can use it with any smartphone, and it does have own. it does
0: have lenses. It's like not just it has cardboard. lenses. Yeah.
1: yeah, it has a magnetic uh, button as well that mm-hmm.
2: pairs, I think, via Bluetooth or something else, to your phone, so you can hit that and you can actually. Uh, input some kind of uh, action to whatever app you're in. Usually, like the common cases, and you're like a, a space fighter jet, and you hit that, and you're shooting the laser out.
1: Right. So this thing, it's it's uh, 15 bucks. Really easy way to just get some early experimentation in with VR. All you need is that and a smartphone. Um, because VR headsets are still a little bit expensive. Of course, AR isn't even really making its way onto the scene yet. But thinking about all of this and some takeaways. What are some things that, that people listening to the show can, can get from this? What are the key things to learn? Uh, I think that for designers, the, the biggest thing here is that we should start thinking about how we are going to adapt our design ways of thinking and our design processes for these new mediums that are going to increasingly come back to the real world, especially in the case of AR. Uh, I think that early adoption is key if you wanna be on top of this. So I'm working on starting my own like makeshift AR project just because, right? Um, I think that that's the best way to think about this is how, you know, with with these new technologies that, that we know are going to happen, how can we start playing around with them from a design perspective? And I think that from the perspective of Building a business off of this, or you know, in, innovating within the pre-existing technology uh, companies that there are, finding ways to take problems or enhancements that that aren't properly harnessed with our current devices and building them into to these devices, bring things back into that human experience. Yeah,
0: I think. Uh Although I don't have an additional takeaway, I do have an angle on this takeaway, which is um, I think that there's a lot of parallels or a lot of things that we're doing well in the digital space that aren't being solved in the physical space with appliances or anything else. But um, what we're gonna find with something like augmented reality or virtual reality is that we can start merging the two together. So you don't necessarily have to, in my mind, think super hard about changing your methods so much as figuring out which pieces you can reuse and bring with you as you go. It's not like you don't have to think about it from zero, right?
2: Yeah. And I'm also thinking like, what lessons can we learn and reflect on from when we made the jump from print to digital, when we made the jump from desktop to mobile about process for how we learn and discover what works with this new medium? Because it is a radically different experience, people consume it in a radically different way. And so the old playbook doesn't necessarily work.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, doing, doing some research, research around the, the big differences between those things and mm-hmm. figuring out uh, the best solution or a much closer natural solution to that medium.
2: Yep, yep, yep. because it might very well be like, uh, we're so used to having like, uh, like a very centralized navigation that you can go to at any point to navigate around through the app. Maybe that just doesn't translate well into the AR world at all. I have no idea, but uh, it's about, I guess, the, the lesson there is to not make assumptions about what will work. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like patterns, design patterns and things like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, yeah. we're going to end up breaking those and stumbling all over again. But that's what's so great about this. I think that that's why this is the best time in history to be in design, mm-hmm. to be in tech. It's, it's all happening right now. So uh, if you want to learn more about virtual reality, uh, there are a, a lot of great meetups that are happening in major metro areas like Boston VR, uh, these are happening on, on, especially on the West Coast and the East Coast. If you want to play around with Google Cardboard, I'll link to that in the description. There's a couple of TED Talks that have happened recently that are talking a lot about the implications of AR and VR. There's some good communities online that, that we can also link to. But ultimately, recognizing that the reason that there isn't a ton of great information out there about this. And that you can't find design patterns for VR or AR yet, or that you can't you know, uh, come across an all-encompassing resource for AR and VR is because we are literally making that right now. And that's what's so exciting about it. So if you are inclined to try new things, to pave new ways, I think this is the time to start thinking about this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Well said. And if you don't want to think about any of that, but you just want to talk to us... We have an email address. Uh, this was uh, our first episode of the UX and Investment Opportunities <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah, so our email address is hello at UXandgrowth.com. Also, uh, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, if you are feeling particularly strongly about our podcast and would like to, you know, do something nice for us, you should leave us a review,
1: leave us an iTunes review. Uh, Are we on Spotify? No, where are we? It's SoundCloud and iTunes. SoundCloud and iTunes, but uh, the best place to leave us a review is on iTunes, and I'm actually going to put a link in the description where uh, if you just tap on the album art for the podcast, it'll bring up a description, and there's going to be a link to leave us a review there.
0: Yeah, and that's all we want for Christmas this year. So (laughs) the more of those, the better. Uh, Thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day.